The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. We're in Matthew 23. If you want to grab your Bible and open it to Matthew 23, we're in the middle of a message uh, Jesus gave. This is during his, the last week of his earthly life, from Palm Sunday, uh, and then he began teaching in the temple Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday before uh, Friday and Passover came. So these are his last messages, and he is now addressing the Pharisees and you know the religious hypocrites, and he's saying, woe unto you. So there is a, a, a message here. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that we might hear what the Holy Spirit would say to our hearts today. Um, Lord, I pray that it will be heard and received uh, from your heart as our Father in heaven, as our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Let it be heavenly divine bread, broken down. Uh, Lord, fresh bread, uh, new wine that will stir our hearts. And may we hear your heart today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Okay, so in our outline here, Matthew 23, beginning in verse 23, Jesus says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. So this is for all the last 2,000 years, all of the hypocrites, you know, the Pharisees, his two words that he uses over and over again in this message are woe, woe, uh, which the Hebrew word is oi, everybody say oi. Uh, and then hypocrites, say hypocrites. hypocrites. So woe to the hypocrites, for you pay a tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. And here are the heavier matters, uh, justice and mercy and faith. And then Jesus says, these you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. So here, what I call it is Jesus warns us against majoring on the minors. Uh, The Pharisees were constantly majoring on the minor issues. They literally had rules for every area of life. And they they were the most stressed out people on the planet. I wanna, I'm serious. Here's how you know as someone that is a Pharisee or is a hypocrite, they, they're, they're a very stressed out person. And they, they wanna take their stress and make you as stressed out as they are. So this is something that Jesus wants to cure because God is about relationship. He doesn't wanna bring stress into our life. In fact, he wants to do the opposite. He wants to take our stress away. Can I hear an amen on that? So this is a warning. Jesus is giving a strong warning, listen to for the church, against legalism. If you have a pen or pencil, if you're taking notes, and I know some of you like to take notes, it's good and healthy you, from the brain and you physically write it, you have to remember it. But if not physically, write it in your brain, the word legalism. Jesus is just, you know, absolutely coming against all forms of legalism. Because legalism leads to stress. And Jesus did not come to bring stress. He came, he said, my yoke is easy. Say that, yes, my yoke is easy. And my burden is light, okay? 
So legalists are sticklers for details, but they're blind to the areas that are really most important. Uh, Now, let me say this about legalists, Pharisees, and hypocrites. Uh, They can actually be theologically correct. They can be saying, no, the Bible says, and they're landing on it, and they're hammering you, and they're pounding you, and see, the Bible says. But by their attitude, by their tone, they're actually abusing the truth to manipulate you, to control you, uh, to use stress in your life, and, it's, and that's, that's what people are rejecting. In many ways, what I have found is people are not rejecting Jesus. They're rejecting the people that took what he said, and they're putting their own thing on it with heaviness and guilt and shame and manipulation and control. Does that make sense? Oi. Oi, yes. So, amen, oi. Like, well, I need more stress in my life. Like I need a, you know, toothache. No, I don't want that in my life. So it's abusive. Now, these same characters later on had no problem condemning the only innocent human being who ever walked on the planet Earth, Jesus. They had no problem condemning him, but at the same time, they were afraid to enter Pilate's hall of judgment because they might get defiled. The hypocrisy is unbelievable. So now, Jesus is talking about tithing and what they did about tithing, and I wanted to say this. This is, so I want you to look at Matthew 23, 23. This is Jesus' only comment in the entire New Testament on the subject of tithing. And what Jesus said is, this you ought to have done, but don't leave the other things out. So I want to take a few minutes and talk about, you know, tithing and giving and what's that all about. Uh, and, and make that note of what Jesus said there. But let's, let's just fill in this little blank here. Giving to God is choosing to see his divine presence and favor. So on the one hand, he's, he's rebuking them for their hypocrisy, their pride, their legalism, their attitude, and guilt and shame. On the other hand, he's saying, now what you did by tithing, you actually should have done. So I want to note here is, you know, as a young Christian, I got saved, you know, you know the story through Billy Graham, started going to the Nazarene church and then started hearing about, okay, giving. So what should I give or what should I do or uh, should I tithe or not? Now, tithing is actually in the law. And the law said, you know, to the nation of Israel, you are to give a tithe and you are to give a tenth or 10% of all your produce and everything that you have and to bring it into the Lord's storehouse and to honor him. But when Jesus came, he delivered us from the law. We are no longer under the law. The law does not save us. It is not our pathway uh, to salvation. We are free from the law. Can I hear an amen on that? Anybody happy with that? We cannot fulfill the law, uh, right? But here's what I want to share with you. While it is true that uh, tithing is actually in the law and we are no longer under the law, I want to also mention that Uh, tithing did not begin in the law. Tithing actually began with Abraham some 4,000 years ago. And I'm going to tell the story about how Abraham began uh, tithing, and then he taught it to his sons, and then to his grandson Jacob, and Jacob also was tithing. So what's this all about? I want to go to Genesis chapter 14, verses 18 through 20. Let's read This is an amazing, amazing, incredible story. I could do a whole sermon on this one little experience. But this guy named uh, Melchizedek, let's read this out loud. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, 
brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand, and he gave him a tithe of all. Now that's Abraham, gave a tithe to this guy, Melchizedek. So here's the story. Abraham's like 75 years old. He's in Ur of the Chaldees, ancient Iraq. God speaks to him and says, hey, I've got a promise for you. I've got a land for you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to reveal. I'm the one true God. I created everything. And I'm going to bless you and through you bless all the people of the earth. So follow me. And God didn't give him a map and say, go here or that. He literally had every day, he had to wake up and say, okay, Lord, where, where do you want me to go? And day by day, in relationship and intimacy, God led Abraham toward the promised land. So while he's on the way, he's got a nephew named Lot, and he's responsible for Lot, uh, who didn't have a dad at that time, and then Lot gets in trouble, and he gets taken as a slave, and, and so Abraham, you know, he was kind of his uncle, but he's also like his only spiritual dad, and so he gathers 300 and some men, and he goes to war with these groups who have captured Lot, and he defeats them, and he, he wins, a, and by the way, supernaturally, he's helped. He has now the spoils of victory, and he's got his, you know, his nephew, Lot, he's delivered. On the way back, he meets this interesting character named Melchizedek. Everybody say Melchizedek. Melchizedek. This is 4,000 years ago. Melchizedek is very strange. He is a king, and he's also a high priest. Did you know that later on when Israel became a nation and then David, you know, and then Solomon and the kingdom of Israel, very specifically God said, look, I want the government over here and I want the Levites and the priesthood over here and I don't want them to mix and I don't want a king being a priest and I don't want a priest trying to be the king, separate them. But here what's interesting is here's a man, his name is Melchizedek, which, which means the, you know, God is our righteousness. And he's from the city of Salem. Do you know what Salem is? Salem is the original name of the city of Jerusalem. It's the, the, and Salem is basically shalom. It's peace. And so he is the king who is righteous, who is both a king and a high priest. And he comes and blesses Abraham. Now, Melchizedek comes to Abraham, who's just won this victory, divine, supernatural victory, and the king, who is also a high priest from the city of Salem, brings Abraham bread and wine. Who in the world is this guy, Melchizedek? Do you know that most Bible commentators believe Melchizedek is none other than Jesus in the Old Testament? There's nobody else like him. David talks about Melchizedek in the Psalms, makes this prophecy about the order of the priesthood of Melchizedek will be the order of the Messiah. And then in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, it talks about Melchizedek really and, and he links him to Jesus. Literally, in other words, this is very exciting. We think of Jesus, we had to wait till he was born in Bethlehem, but there are a few times in the Old Testament, apparently he was so excited about coming down, he came early. Yes. 
And then later when Jesus in the gospel was, would say, they go, Matt, Jesus looked, his appearance looked older than he was. They go, well, you know, you, he said, because when Abraham saw me, he rejoiced to see me. Do you remember Jesus saying that? When did Abraham see Jesus? Maybe with Melchizedek. And I believe that literally that was none of the, and, and so Abraham got down on his knees and received from Melchizedek bread and wine. What did Jesus give to the disciples at the Last Supper? Bread and wine. And he not only bowed down to him, but the writer of Hebrews says that who was in Abraham's loins? The Levites, the whole Levitical priesthood was bowing down before a higher order of priesthood, Melchizedek, which would be fulfilled by Jesus Christ. And then it says, because he was, on, yes, I, I know that I, my victory uh, and that I have lot and that he's safe is because it's from God. And he goes, I want to honor you and I want to worship you. There was no law. There was no, you know, requirement. There was the Ten Commandments hadn't been given. The Old Testament at that point hadn't laid out what all the 613 commandments were. But intuitively, Abraham honored him, Melchizedek, with a tenth of everything that he had. It was voluntary. It was an, a way of acknowledging everything I have really is yours, but I'm honoring you with what's called the first fruits. So I, I really believe this is an interesting thing as we look at this subject of giving and tithing and Abraham. So then look at Genesis chapter 15. This is the next chapter. This is the next story that happened in Abraham's life. Right after he met Melchizedek. Let's read it. Then he brought him outside and said, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you were able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. So I'm, I'm making a little, you know, follow the train of thought here. Abraham bowed down, got on his knees, worshiped the Lord, and demonstrated that I re all everything that I have is from you, and I honor you with the first fruits of 10%. And as immediately as he voluntarily began worshiping out of that tithe, the next story is God gives him a divine revelation. And he looks up into the stars, God speaks to him and says, so shall thy descendants be. So here's, I want to tie that into one more verse in the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, where God challenges his people. Let's read this scripture out loud. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. So what, what, here's what I want to say to you. Here's where God actually said, he goes, I, I want to prove that I am who I claim to be, that I'm the creator and that I have everything and I can take care of you. And here's how I want to prove it. I want you to bring your tithes. I want you to choose voluntarily to come in, tithe to me, bring it into my storehouse. And God says, and then one, and you're testing me. God, this is the only place in the entire Bible where God says, test me. Usually he's testing us, right? But God says, test me. And see, if you do this, if I will not open the windows of heaven to you and pour out a blessing upon you. So what I want to share with you is just my own life experience. So I want to begin by saying this. It is true. We are not under the law, legalism, and there's no legal requirement, and it's certainly not tied to salvation. You don't have to tithe. You don't have to give anything that you, you know, God wants us to give freely, voluntarily from our heart. But I want to speak to you from my own experience as a spiritual dad, and I want to encourage you to 
I want to challenge you, as God challenged his people, to consider tithing. If you've, for those who haven't done it. For those who have done it, that's another story. But here's my story. You know that I got saved, you know, at 10, and then I started, I got excited about the Lord. I started teaching Bible studies all through high school and it, my parents' house and really was growing and it was packed out. And I felt called to ministry and to be a pastor. So I, you know, ended up meeting Chuck Smith and going up to Costa Mesa and listening and learning the Bible through him. And then came when I was 20 years of age, uh, started Calvary Chapel of El Cajon in 1977. I just got married, Vicki and I, you know, I'm 20 years old. I, I bought my first car, a little Honda Civic. I got my first checkbook. We rented our first house, you know, and, and everything was brand new. And then I started church and I quit my job and went full-time into ministry. Uh, and at the time when I first started, I made about $3 an hour. And so I was, you know, as we first started in, in the church and ministering, I was like, you know, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And, and so I was doing the checkbook and doing all the bills. And I, you know, I poured my soul into the church, I, you know, and Bible studies and, and marriages and funerals and counseling and teaching and, uh, you know, Saturday morning men's prayer breakfast was in our house. Wednesday night Bible study was in our house. We rented the gymnasium, you know, gymnasium on Sunday mornings. I mean, I was 24-7. And we, we didn't, we, we were poor. How poor were you? We were very poor. And so I wasn't tithing. And my wife, you know, finally, you know, cause I was doing the bills. She looks, she goes, Hey, are you tithing? And I go, yeah, I'm tithing, but I'm not like literally, you know, and she goes, are you, but are you giving 10% of it? I said, no, I said, not that way. I'm tithing my whole life. I'm bleeding the church, you know? <laughs> Everything in my life is, you know. I said, we, get, we make this much. I, and I showed her on a piece of paper. Here, you know, our payment for the house is this. Gas and electric is this. The water is this. Uh, food is this. I said, we've got nothing. She goes, and I said to her, I said, Vicki, I can't afford to tithe. We can't afford to tithe. And she looked at me and I'll never forget what she said. She said, you're a pastor. We can't afford not to tithe. So I was like, oh. So then I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going I'm to be honest with you. I'm 20 years old, right? I write that first tithe check because, and I know we're going to crash at the end of the month. So I write the tithe check waiting for it to crash so I can say, see, <laughs> we didn't make it. Didn't work. Guess what happened? We made it. I don't know how we made it because on paper, it didn't work. And then somehow, and then, so then she looked at me kind of like, see, told you. <laughs> yeah, the hand on the hip kind of, you know. So then we go to the second month. I go, well, then it'll catch up to us. And it didn't catch up to us. And then the third month, and I started laughing because I was like, we would get little, you know, uh, little envelopes with some money in it or somebody would say, hey, you, you, you don't know, I, I owe you this or they would give that. We get checks in the mail. One, actually our first year, you know, I was making $3 an hour. I paid my taxes the whole year, which didn't make, you know, I, I didn't have anything. And at the end of the, the year, the, the government sent me back every penny of my taxes. They said, you're, you're in the poverty level. You don't need to pay taxes. I was, so that was in 1977, and from that time, and so as I began to grow and develop, so I learned in my own life, and I kept, it became funny, like, kind of like, God, 
It doesn't work. I've looked at it on paper and God would always provide. He'd say, see, you're learning something. I'm teaching you something. And all of a sudden it wasn't just our little, you know, financial deal, but then it would be like taking a step of faith uh, to buy land, which we did in Black Mountain Road. We can't afford to do that. The church budget, it doesn't, you know, and I said, yeah, but God spoke to me and God said, we're, and this is what I learned from my pastor, Chuck Smith. He always said this from the biblical, it's not a verse, but it's a truth from the Bible where God guides, God provides. So I bought land. We bought five acres for $500,000 on Black Mountain Road. We couldn't afford to do it, but we went ahead and did it. And then, you know, we got a loan for the church. And then we, financially, we couldn't afford that payment. But as soon as we stepped into it, God, every time God kept outgiving and blessing. And I have found in the 40 some years of ministering, I have never been able to outgive God. He always makes up bigger, higher measure. Can I hear an amen on that? So now... You know, we got this campus, we've, we got 15 acres, we've developed 10, we got another five to develop, we got a school down there with 20 acres and a thousand kids, and it's just gone, you know, from level to level to level. So what I want to say to you is, I want to challenge you, uh, not legally, because if you do it that way, it gets weird, but if you do it willingly and from your heart, like Abraham did and taught his son Isaac and then Jacob, uh, God says, test me in this, and you will begin learning it's a way of learning. God says, I'll show you my ways. I'll give you divine revelation. I'll open the windows of heaven and it'll be absolutely incredible. I want to leave with this scripture on the whole subject. Second Corinthians chapter nine, verses six and seven. Let's read it out loud. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart not grudgingly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So listen very carefully. I don't want one person to go from this and say, well, Pastor Ray said I had to tithe, blah, blah, blah. No, I didn't say that. You don't have to do anything. Uh, and whatever you do is between you and the Lord. Uh, I'm telling you my life, my experience, and I believe there's a principle here, even within the law. And by the way, uh, the 10% the thing is, that's not the ceiling. I think that's beginner step. Because then, now I've learned that that's where I start, but on top of that, you add offerings. And every time I stay, take a step to bless God or to honor God or to give to more, he always, he, he's been faithful, he always provides above and beyond all I could ask, hope, think, dream, or imagine. But what's been important about it, it's not legalism, it's not obligation, it's not tied to my salvation but I've learned about my dad. I've learned about his ways. I've learned, wow, Lord. So what I think we learn from our stepping into by faith giving is, God is so in love with teaching me to be like him, which is he's concerned for others. Not, we don't need to worry for ourselves. It's very liberating and very powerful. Can I hear an amen on that? Okay, so let's go on to the next couple of verses here. Uh, verses 25 through 28, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and, and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, uh, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. 
Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus uses the illustration of, you know, uh, platters, uh, plates, and cups, or whatever. So imagine you have friends come over, you make the best meal you've ever had in your life, <laughs> and, and it's, it, they're smelling it, and they're like, oh, I can't wait, this is going to be incredible. And then you go get the dishes that were from last night that you didn't wash, and you bring out the dirty dishes and put their food on it. How, how would that go over? Not so well. So that's what, what he's saying. He goes, look, you, know, you, you clean on the outside, but you're dirty on the inside. God will have no part of it. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Let's read this out loud. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. God wants us, not, it's not just about looking good, looking holy on the outside. It's about who we are on the inside of our heart. That's what God is really interested in. God wants you. He wants the inside. He wants to cleanse from within and the cup of his Holy Spirit. You are the vessel that he wants to pour his nature and his character into. Amen? Okay, so let's go on to uh, verses 29 through 36. Peacemakers are God's children, but persecutors are the devil's children. Verse 29, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Therefore, you are witnesses against yourselves and you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt. Serpents, Jesus calls them, brood of vipers. How can you escape the condemnation of hell? <laughs> Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, scribes. Some of them you kill and crucify. Some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. That on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Assuredly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Wow. I mean, you know, we always think of Jesus. He's, you, you know, he, he's nice or we've got to be nice. This is not nice. He's calling these guys vipers. He's calling them snakes. They're, so they're the children of their dad who is, he's calling them the children of the devil. devil. You can go ahead and say it. Devil. devil. Children of the devil. And you are guilty of murdering the prophets and, and all of this and that same spirit is within you. So how do I say this? Um, be careful with a religious spirit. A religious spirit, a critical spirit, a pharisaical spirit, they can be right on all the you know, doctrine and the Bible says this, but in their tone and their attitude and their heart and in their motives, uh, it's all wrong. And it's all something that Jesus was totally and completely against. Jesus emphasized that our heart is right with God, that our heart is clean before the Lord. They were concerned about the externals and the Lord is concerned with what's going on inside of our hearts. Can I hear an amen on that? So I want to just uh, leave you with this. Oh, Lord, deliver me from all this stress. So Luke chapter 21, verse 34. Let's read this out loud. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap. 
Would you agree with me? We live in a very stressful time, very stressful time. And stress, there, you know, I mean, the headlines, I don't even read the articles because pretty much you read the headline, you know what they're going to say, but you can get the details and the stats. But they say, we, we are the most stressed out generation that has ever been recorded. And then it, it, and it, it seems like it piles on even more onto the next and the younger generation because they see no hope. And, the, you know, so the anxiety of millennials and young people is just like off of the charts. Here's what Jesus said. We don't have time to go into all of it, but Jesus said, what he's talking about there in Luke 21, 34 is the last days. He said, the last days are going to be the most stressful time upon the planet. And people will be trying to mitigate that stress with drugs or alcohol or stress or anxiety. Here's another verse from the book of Job. You know, that poor guy and his story, but let's read this. My days are swifter than a runner. They fly away without a glimpse of joy. You ever feel like, man, my day, it just keeps running away. I can't, I'm not enjoying life. There's no joy in life. I'm just, every day's like survivor. So what do we do with all that? I love this, what Paul writes in the book of Acts, chapter 20, verse 24. This is what the apostle Paul said, who finally, because he was a religious hypocrite. He was a woe Pharisee. He, he was exactly who Jesus was talking about. Here's the good news. He repented. God turned that guy around from being a religious bigot to actually someone who became a son of God. His life was changed. So let's read this out loud. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Look here, you all have an assignment. You're not here just to you know, work at your job, pay your bills, save up some retirement, live your life, and then you die. I mean, that's part of the course of events, but there's a purpose, there's an assignment. You are a child of God. God wants to bless you. God wants to reveal himself to you. God has an assignment, and you will find joy when you know your gifts when you know your abilities, when you know your talents, when you begin using them and you experience the joy of the Lord, the presence of God, you're not affected by the stress of the earth, but you're filled already with the anticipation of the joy of heaven. Amen? So I love this in Philippians. We'll leave and close with this verse before we step into communion. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Let's read this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, With thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I love that. Do not be anxious about what? Anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Would you all bow your heads and close your eyes? Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.